It is July 2022. At this time, most businesses understand the importance of data. A few have been truly transformed by it, embracing it as a competitive advantage. For those that are struggling to become data-driven native enterprises, the answer boils down to two words, data maturity. In today's podcast for Future CIO, we are joined by Dr. Christopher Lee Marshall, Associate Vice President at IDC Asia-Pacific for Analytics, Big Data, and Artificial Intelligence, for his take on what organizations in Asia need to do to become truly data-driven and finally achieve the outcomes that are fueling their transformation ambitions. Christopher, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Hello, Alan. Nice to meet you. Let's have a baseline first. What is IDC's definition of a data-driven organization, and what are the qualities needed to become one? That's a very good question. I mean, we're certainly seeing a big impetus towards more data-driven organizations or enterprises, and obviously this is aligned with the the move to digital transformation because you know almost an offshoot of being a digital enterprise means that you're generating data, you're using data to inform how those digital operations and processes will evolve and change over time. So the move to a data-driven enterprise is almost unstoppable, at least it seems to us. But what we do find is that a lot of companies, frankly, struggle. In fact, we've done survey where we analyze the maturity of different organizations across the region and we try, and we try to figure out you know how far along are you in terms of your data maturity if you like and what we tend to see is big differences in how well organizations are moving on that journey and of course what that journey means is it's a bit of a debating point but but from an IDC perspective we tend to think about data driven enterprises as being combinations certainly of the data if nothing else you've got to have the data data in place to be able to build an organization that uses that data. But frankly, more important, even than the data, is the technology, the infrastructure, the controls, the workflow, the analytics that support the data uh, analysis, if you like. And also, I would add the people side of the story, the, the data culture, as we tend to call it. So we tend to think about data culture in terms of not just the individuals who within the organization who have their own skills, um, data literacy, they uh, interpret and criticize and improve the data over time. So there's an individual component to data culture, but there's also a social component to data culture. You know, there's an element of, you know, what are the norms and expectations within the enterprise to share data or to make decisions based on data or who owns the data, who governs the data. These sort of slightly fuzzy cultural kind of aspects we find consistently are becoming more, not less important than the technology. And I think this is kind of interesting. And also there's a country sort of spin on this as well, which makes it a little bit interesting as well. The final piece I would add to this sort of data-driven enterprise story is, is frankly strategy and leadership. Um, without leadership saying this is really important, just in the same way with digital transformation, without leadership saying we're going to do this, guys, frankly, it just won't happen because business as usual is not good enough. You know, building a data culture is fundamentally about building an organization that's able to learn and be able to, you know, enact um, change as a result of that learning. And unless leadership says, yeah, we're going to do this. And if you don't do this, you know, we've got a problem. Um, it doesn't happen. So leadership strategy, um, the cultural side, the technology side, the data, of course, these are all important po- components of building this, what we call a data-driven enterprise, but, you know, you might call it a, a data organization, if you like. 
In your opinion, what is leadership's understanding of data-driven and who owns it among enterprises in Asia? Interesting. I think we are seeing a lot of data initiatives come on the back of digital transformation. So the same people who would lead uh, digital transformation organization are often leading some sort of data-driven organization initiative. So for example, we talk about the chief analytics officer or perhaps a CDO in some organizations. Sometimes the CEO is also you know, brought in explicitly with that mandate. And I think the, the people who seem to be doing this best, frankly, are those that are not surprisingly had the most experience with data over the longest period. So you talk about financial services, for example. You, you talk about um, some of the um, digital natives. Obviously, their business model is so fundamentally based on data and analytics that they tend to get data in some deep sense. And this comes from the very, very top. So the leadership really says, you know, look, we've got to do this. This is not a nice to have. This is not simply about maintaining business as usual. This is a matter of survival. And even things like COVID have sort of pushed this further along than you would have been, say, three years ago. So we've seen a big jump in terms of the data maturity, sort of a doubling, if you like, of the sort of the quality of data maturity that organizations now have, as a, partly as a result of the fact they've had to do a lot of things they didn't used to do before. But I would argue partly as a result of COVID and the sort of shift in terms of, say, hybrid working, more uh, collaborative working, all of these have sort of changed the, the scale and the agenda for leadership in building a, a data-driven organization. When it comes to striving to become data-driven, how would you compare the level of maturity among the different markets in Asia? See, what, what I always find difficult with these sort of country-by-country country comparisons is that an awful lot is driven by industry. If you've got an, uh, a company in an industry that has lots of international competitors, like banking, for example, to some extent, all banks across the region have to adopt similar best practices. You tend to find, for example, for the average investment bank is on a par, for the most part, in terms of their use of technology and analytics. If you look at it by country, then you need to sort of have another uh, sort of drill down on this discussion because you're thinking, well, how important is that particular industry in this particular country? So, for example, Singapore and Hong Kong probably the leaders in many ways in terms of their data analytics, their data culture, their use of AI, for example. And yet some of that, in Hong Kong's case, an awful lot of that is driven by the fact that the most important industry in Hong Kong, say, is banking. And they've always been a leader in this space. So when you look at ASEAN, and I think, frankly, ASEAN is a bit of a two-headed monster in one sense, right? You've got, on the one side, you've got um, companies in Singapore, for example, that generally compare well with best practice within Asia Pacific, certainly. And they're possibly only beaten by some companies in Hong Kong and also uh, South Korea and Japan in some cases. So you've got the, the upper scale, if you like, and then that slowly morphs into other countries' capabilities in this space. For example, in Malaysia, an awful lot of work in data analytics is actually being driven by government-related entities, and they're supporting local industries in order to you know, build up their skills. Telcos are the other big users in Malaysia that are really pushing data analytics as, as being important moving forward, partly because they've got the scale to do that. Telcos and banks are still important in Thailand and in the Philippines and uh, you know a host of other places, Indonesia. But you tend to find that they are more operating on their own. And the rest of the, the local industry doesn't really have that sort of commitment, frankly, to building some of the analytics and the capabilities that you need to have in place in order to, you know, to compete regionally. 
in Indonesia, take one example, such a huge market that frankly, unless it's competing regionally, it almost doesn't need to push as aggressively moving towards the sort of the heavy use of analytics. And they're still at the stage of, you know, automating and building more digital transformed organizations. So that the, the analytics ha typically we find comes after the digital transformation. And what we tend to find is, especially in Indonesia, uh, and outside of the banks and, and to some extent the telcos, you tend to find that they're not at that stage. Another issue, frankly, that is a big problem in many markets is skills. Thailand, for example, all the AI and, and hardcore analytics people tend to be based in in the banks, the you know the same commercial banks and the K banks and all the rest, all leading enterprises in their own right. And frankly, they they dominate the sort of the skills market in many of these locations. So what that tends to mean is that those skills and capabilities don't get passed to other areas within the country. So for example, one of the good things I, I think Malaysia, for example, does very well is that it, it takes a very top-down approach to thinking about how a skill skills can be nurtured and supported in the entire nation. And I think for some of these areas, I think of data engineering, AI, you know, that actually is very important. So skills are a real constraint on what companies can do in terms of building a data-driven organization. If I had to sort of summarize it slightly simplistically, inevitably, in terms of where countries are, I'd probably put the, you know, the Singapore's and the Hong Kong's certainly on the right-hand scale in terms of leading maturity, in terms of data analytics, and building a database organization. And frankly, Indonesia, Thailand, and to some extent, Malaysia are somewhat further down the line. But again, that doesn't mean that these countries don't have pockets of really excellent work that's really pushing the boundary in terms of best practice. In fact, I find it fascinating. You look at places like Vietnam, for example, precisely because there's huge growth in some of these markets. And in particular, things like um, the use of mobile phones. The use of mobile phones has sort of completely revolutionized mobile banking in Vietnam and to some extent in, in Thailand as well. Um, and, and for that reason, it means that there's a whole host of companies that are using that data and actually using that data to analyze cross-selling opportunities or perhaps fraud or attrition or whatever it happens to be. And they're using those sort of um, new source of opportunities really to revolutionize how those economies are working. And slowly that capability is being disseminated across the, the market as a whole. So it's a, a mixed story, I think is the honest truth. But I think there's a lot to do. And the, uh, you know, we're starting to see some big benefits, certainly in those areas of the market where people have actually adopted it. And, uh, you know, they're seeing benefits in terms of more efficient uh, work processes, better decision making, knowledge management, even at the level of things like, you know, higher revenues, lower customer attrition and, and, and so on. So I think it's a great story, but it's quite a long journey. What would you say are three critical hurdles slowing adoption of data-driven strategies in Asia? Skills is a common complaint across the board. Everybody says, you know, we're not getting the skills we need to do smart analytics or to do AI or, or whatever it happens to be, building data lake. Adoption of cloud is an important driver of this. I mean, that will improve the um, utilization of the skills that are available. But still, one thing that we do say, and, and this I'm coming from Singapore, which is probably one of the worst places for this, is 
once you get skills, keeping them in place is not always very easy. I can't speak for Hong Kong, but certainly in Singapore, the average lifespan of a say a data scientist is maybe two years, three years. And at that sort of time, it's a big investment for a company to make in terms of building the skills of that person and to get them sort of part of the, the overall organization business processes. But it does mean that it's quite difficult for them to get a real return on that investment that they've made in particular individuals. So skills, I would I'd probably highlight as one or two as uh, in terms of the, the top topics to, to, or challenges to deal with. Another one I would sort of bring up is probably leadership, frankly. I and mean, I'm not sure which is the, the more important. Leaders always tend to have a, a positive view. So I think we get a slightly biased opinion in terms of where leaders think they are in terms of building their data-driven uh, organization. But leadership can easily, and I think very often does, frankly, derail any data culture, any data-driven enterprise. And it, it's very easy to do. I mean, how often have you been in an organization where decisions get made by the guy with the biggest salary or the most experience in that in that particular organization or perhaps somebody who comes across as being very arrogant and um, you know knowledgeable but not necessarily without any hard data to back themselves up so all of these sort of um, bad habits, I suppose, can easily get in the way of building a, a data-driven enterprise. And I, I think if I was you know, looking to build a capability for data analytics, an awful lot is driven by, does the C-suite use data analytics in their decision? If they don't, why should you expect your front office staff to do the same? Is there a roadmap that organizations can take in their quest to develop a data capability? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair, fair question. I mean, we've talked about the skills and the sort of the more sort of cultural aspects of building a, a data capability. But I think there's certainly lots of opportunity for, you know, improved BI tools, improved analytics, performance management tools. And of course, underneath all of those tools and analytics, you've got to have the data infrastructure to support the enterprise as a whole. So you're talking about things like um, ETL or about data pipelines or continuous analytics or perhaps master data management or metadata management. All of these sort of standard sets of techniques enterprises need to put in place in order to make sure you've got an infrastructure of data that the analytics and the skilled people, of course, can make use of to make decisions. And whether you, there's plenty of vendors that do exactly this, that are trying to think about how to support enterprises in terms of building their own infrastructure on-prem, if you like, to build that capability in-house. But what we're also seeing, and I think this is probably the biggest change over the last five years, is the, the sort of the move to cloud and the fact that more and more data management, data analytics, and even AI to a large extent is moving to the cloud. And that allows a lot of organizations that perhaps didn't invest before to to sort of jumpstart a lot of their work to build, for example, standard use cases across the enterprise as a whole for, for instance, for, for cross-selling, for optimizing omni-channel interaction or for preventative maintenance or whatever happens to be. So having these use cases is a way of getting the business, who ultimately were there to help as senior IT executives, involved and, and engaged in using the data analytics capabilities that we've you know, spent a lot of time putting in place and actually converting that data analytics capability into business value, which is ultimately what determines whether this is useful or a waste of time. Christopher, thank you for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Christopher D. Marshall, Associate Vice President at IDC Asia Pacific for Analytics, Big Data, and Artificial Intelligence on the topic of Guide to Become Data-Driven Native Enterprise.
You are listening in the podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.